Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Today's gonna be a little different because uh, God sent me here for a specific purpose, and that is to be a scout from the front lines to tell you about what's happening in the battles on religious freedom. So if you want a scripture to go back to later, I would say it's not just one scripture, it's the whole first chapter of Joshua, where God says to the Israelites over and over, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. They were about to enter the promised land, but they needed to know they had to be strong and courageous. This is the time that we're in, and you'll understand as I start talking about what's happening, it's a time for us to be strong and courageous. But there's a promised land on the other side if we'll just be obedient. So let me start with the very basics. What is First Liberty? First Liberty is the largest uh, legal nonprofit in the country. All we do is religious freedom. So let's say you're a five-year-old girl, you're Gabriela Perez, and you're caught praying over your meal. And you're told it's not good to pray at school. And you are a poor family outside of Orlando. There's no way you have the ability to go out and hire a legal team. What do you do? Well, so that's why we come in. We bring the best litigators in the country. They all donate their time so that when Gabriella wins her case, which she did win her case, we not only win for Gabriella, but we set a precedent that protects all of our kids and our grandkids. And how did I get involved in, in this whole thing with First Liberty? Well, back when I was uh, in high school, I knew my gifts were in analytical thinking and speaking. And I thought, well, I need to be a pastor or a lawyer. And people said, well, that's like a God or Satan choice, isn't it, to be a pastor or a lawyer? And I analyzed my DNA, and I realized I'd probably do better at dispensing justice rather than mercy. So I'd probably make a better lawyer than a pastor. And went to law school, got out, clerked for a federal judge. You do that for one year. You get to see what it's like to be on the other side of the bench. And all the law firms want you. And so I had all the offers, and I just, I just felt like I would suffocate if I went and was a regular lawyer. I knew God was calling me something different, but I didn't know what. So I, I sat in my little clerk's office, and I said, well, what do you want to do? And I thought, well, I want to use my legal skills because God showed me I should do that. But I want to help pastors and churches and religious freedoms and our founding principles. And I'd even like to go to seminary part-time. And I laughed because there was no job to pay you to do any such thing. And about two weeks later, two partners in big national law firms, never met any of these guys in my life, uh, asked me to go to lunch. And they said, look, we started donating our time for religious liberty. We're getting so many calls. It's hurting our ability to make a living. We were wondering, though, would you be willing to come on, do legal cases, help pastors, churches, religious freedoms, and our founding principles? And you could even go to seminary part-time if you want to. Now... Being in my mid-20s, maybe a little immature in my faith, I said, let me pray about it. Like, that wasn't the answer to prayer. And I said, yes. Uh, they pitched in out of their pocket to start a nonprofit, and that was 33 years ago. And now, 33 years later, First Liberty is the largest legal organization in the country. That all we do is religious freedom. It's something God knew needed to be created because of what was coming. And, you know, why should we care about religious freedom, right? I mean, what about if you're not even a person of faith? You know, the people that you know who aren't believers at all, should they care? Yes. 
Because our founders understood you lose this freedom, you'll lose all your freedoms. There's a reason it's called our first freedom. But I even found that, that Christians don't really get it. They say, yeah, I want religious freedom because I want the ability to do my faith. I just, it's, that's such a small vision. This is so much bigger. When religious freedom goes, unbelievable evil comes. I mean, you're seeing now as Marxism begins to encroach upon our country. Notice the attacks on the church. Why is that? Well, because look at history. There's a great book uh, called uh, Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. And he goes and he, and he goes into all these communist countries and interviews the people that live through it. And what you find is the start of every time is Marxism has to remove the church. It's a competing uh, authority structure. And so you see the church taken out, the priests murdered, uh, you know, uh, people completely taken out in the church where people don't have that freedom. And the question is, well, what do you do? And the answer is, live not by lies. Alexander Solzhenitsyn's last essay before he was banned from the Soviet Union was that, look, all these totalitarian regimes exist the same way they force people to go along with the lies. But if enough people, not a majority, just enough people are willing to stand and speak the truth, even if they suffer, it collapses. And it tells the story of each place of how that's exactly what happened. I'm thinking of one of them, a 16-year-old girl who stood and spoke the truth. She was sentenced to death. She's now quoted in this book as an 84-year-old woman with steely eyes who never would back down on the truth and what the Lord had her doing, okay? And that's, so Marxism, if you lose religious freedom, incredible evil comes. And so we're, we're in a battle. The best way I can describe this is the one thing that a totalitarian regime can never allow are citizens who hold an allegiance to one higher than the government. So whenever that type of oppression begins to come in, the first flashpoint will always be religious freedom. And if you lose there, you'll lose all your freedoms. That being the case, how are we doing in America, right? I probably don't have to convince you. We're in a war over our religious freedoms. We had 331 cases two years ago. Last year, we had 898, okay? It's the numbers of attacks are increasing. Uh, it's all across the country. I mean, it's, it's where we are. I don't have to convince you. You're awake in church, right? One, uh, the first slide I'm going to show you is one of our most recent cases. You know, uh, let's, do a, let's do a Christmas program in the Ready Shell, right? And then at the end of all the long negotiations, oh, you're a church? Oh, we don't rent to churches and religious groups. And so I appreciate Awaken calling going, you know, that doesn't seem right. We're like, it's not right. It violates federal law, state law. I mean, and so by the time we sent them a letter, we said, look, you know, you can either follow the law voluntarily or we can have a federal judge help you follow the law. And so Awaken Church will be having their Christmas program this year. And the ratty shell. And not only that, every other church and religious group now will have their freedoms too. Because somebody was willing to stand and make sure that we kept those freedoms, right? But these attacks on churches and synagogues, I mean, let's go back to COVID. 
What happened in COVID when you gave these mayors, these governors, these government officials power they'd never had in their lifetime? What was the flashpoint? What was the big battle under the Constitution? It was that Home Depot was open. Uh, you know, you could go get alcohol. You, you know, you could go to the gambling parlor. You could go to almost anywhere. But the one place that you couldn't be is in a church or a synagogue. Somehow COVID didn't work in Home Depot, but it did in the church. Okay, interesting flashpoint. And we knew this was going to be a major problem because you give all this power to people. We knew the first flashpoint, and, but we knew how hard this would be because we're in a country that's never had a case on religious freedom during a pandemic. And if you'll remember, the visuals we were seeing at this time was the guy walking off the beach with a surfboard being arrested right? The guy throwing a baseball with his kids in the park, being handcuffed for being in a park, okay? This is the nonsense we were seeing. And we thought, is the Constitution suspended? And the first test case was the case we filed a little over two years ago, which was On Fire Christian Church, a church that just wanted to meet for Easter in a safe way. And they came up with the idea, hey, why don't we come in our cars, and the, the pastor will speak over a radio frequency into the cars. And I'm not a CDC expert. Of course, I don't know that the CDC is much of an expert either. But I'm pretty sure that you don't pass the coronavirus from one automobile to the other. But yet they were told they would be criminally prosecuted if they showed up in their cars in the church parking lot for Easter. We said, this is China. And we filed a lawsuit. On Good Friday, we filed a federal lawsuit asking for an immediate injunction. <clears throat> and we got a great federal judge and he writes, in, in fact, you can read this, look online sometime, On Fire Christian Church and see the opinion. He said, this is like something in a dystopian novel. We're, this is the uh, American city criminalizing an Easter gathering. And then he said, this is irrational, it's unreasonable, it's unconstitutional, and this will never happen as long as I'm a federal judge in the United States of America. <clears throat> but our goal wasn't to just get people in their church parking lot. So we had the Tabernacle Baptist Church next, which was a, in a, a big facility, had plenty of room for social distancing. By the time we were finished, not only had we won for this church, but the African-American attorney general of the state of Kentucky joined us in this case, suing his own governor on behalf of every other church and synagogue. And we ended up with a statewide injunction that opened every house of worship, just like every other place of business. Then we had Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. There, it was a crime for the church to have 101 people meet for an outdoor service with mask on, while at the same time they said it was perfectly okay for the BLM marches with over 5,000 people and no mask. Well, when you get that in court, that doesn't work out too well for the city of Washington, D.C., so they lost. So we won every single case we had during COVID all over the country. But none of these ever made the Supreme Court, so we still don't have any real precedent at the highest level that says the government can't take over our churches, our synagogues. So we're going to still fight. But just think about the battles that we're in now. We have synagogues all over the country that we're defending. We just won a case just a few weeks ago, Habat on the Beaches. This is a, a facility that sat there for two uh, uh, years, two and a half years, open for sale. Anybody want to buy it? 
But as soon as this Jewish group bought it, the city decided, oh, we want it now. In fact, we're going to take it from you by eminent domain. And that's what they said until just a few weeks ago, we had a federal judge tell them, you will take no such thing from a church. You have no authority from a church or a synagogue or a house of worship to take their facility. But just think that we're fighting over the ability of a church to open, a synagogue to open, to exist. These are fights we didn't used to have to have. It's happening in our public schools. We've got kids all over the country. They're just trying to be people of faith that are under attack. Every, every valedictorian season, we have valedictorians we have to represent. Uh, Christian clubs, everything else. Uh, Elizabeth Turner's great example, valedictorian. To, you know, what does a valedictorian address mean? It means personal farewell. Like they give their opinion, they express themselves, they've won that right to do that, they're the number one. But she was told there was one thing that she couldn't say, that would be inappropriate. What was that? She was going to talk about God and Jesus. And they said, you can't do that. Well, she's the valedictorian. She's smart. She said, I don't think you can tell me that. I'm going to call First Liberty, and we're going to see about this. And after we talked to the school district through their attorneys, not only did she give up and give her valedictory address and mention God and Jesus, but instead of just going to her crowd, it was carried on national TV. So she just reached a lot more people. And they say, you know, if you would just, you know, take this, you know, Christian stuff, you know, out of the public schools and go to your private school, you know, we'd leave you alone. Yeah, right, right? They're going to leave you alone? They're not going to leave you alone. Which, Cambridge Christian School, one of our cases right now. The state championship, the state championship in high school football in Florida are two Christian schools. And they said the Florida High School Athletic Association refused to allow them to have a prayer before their game. Well, Why? They said, because it's a government microphone. Oh, I, I wasn't aware that if you mentioned Jesus over a government microphone, that you know, there's some sort of nuclear explosion that occurs. Um, so I can't say, talk about Jesus on a sidewalk or in a park. or you know, Since when did everybody lose their First Amendment rights if you're on government property? This is ridiculous, right? Well, we're now at the Federal Court of Appeals. And one of my favorite things about this case, oh, by the way, this facility, the Citrus Bowl, 40 years ago, the Billy Graham crusade had a revival in that facility. So the idea that these guys can't pray is ridiculous. And, and so one of my favorite things about this case is the Florida uh, Education, Department of Education, joined us in the case against their own high school athletic association saying, this is not right under the Constitution. It, it's not just schools, it's not just churches and synagogues, it's people trying to run their business. I mean, people that just want to run their business according to the faith, you're seeing these attacks all over the place. Probably one of the most well-known is our case uh, with Sweet Cakes. Uh, it's Melissa and, and Aaron Klein uh, just started their own business after a year, built it up. It was great success. They're going to pass this down to our kids someday. And they had people come in. They had a same-sex couple come in and say, hey, we want you to do baked goods for us. They said, oh, yeah. We, you know, they loved on them. But then they said, we want you to do a custom wedding cake for our wedding. And they said, well, we're sorry because of our beliefs about marriage. You know, we can't do that, but we're happy to refer you to someone, give you a great, they'll do a great job for you. The next thing they knew, the state of Oregon was coming after them. They were fined $135,000, okay? They were ordered not to speak their beliefs about marriage, okay? And they were bankrupted and their business closed down. I mean, look, you know, people can have whatever beliefs they want to have about same-sex marriage. But I think the thing that we should all be able to agree on is the government has no right to punish citizens because they don't have the beliefs that they do about same-sex marriage. And 
This case is now, uh, and I'm going to show you a quick video. This case is now in the Supreme Court, and really be praying for Aaron and Melissa. Melissa loves creating custom cakes. She loves serving people even more. Of course I want to do my baked goods and cupcakes and cakes and all the sweets. A place where anybody can come and sit down and you know feel welcomed and I want to get to know everybody. <laughs> but 10 years ago, a cake they could not make brought Aaron and Melissa Klein's thriving family business to a painful end. We were asked to do a same-sex wedding cake, and we politely declined to do so because of our faith. It wasn't actually a hard decision. Um, we try to live by the Bible. We try to live by God's Word, do everything that it says in it. And in this situation, marriage has always been between a man and a woman for us. Now, the customers went elsewhere and got their cake, and that should have been the end of the story. But a hostile state agency set out to destroy Aaron and Melissa's business. It was super shocking to be hit with a $135,000 damage award. There was nothing more frustrating than watching a state government operate in the way in which Oregon operates, and that is the government becomes untouchable. The government becomes um, all-powerful. Activists saw what the state did and took it even further. Like we had people protest us, we had people boycotting us, we had um, people out there just saying horrible things, getting horrible emails. Something like 6,400 emails, just nasty emails. People writing messages on our vehicle. People threatening us to hoping our kids die, to hoping that we ourselves die. And then my vendors started boycotting me which absolutely crushed me. We had kids that we pulled out of school and started homeschooling. We sheltered them a bit more from some of the stuff that goes on in the world. I would have to just reach out to God and say, okay, you gotta like give me a shield or something because I can't, I can't take this. We are looking for a full victory for Aaron and Melissa Klein at the United States Supreme Court. First Liberty Institute stepped in to help the Kleins. Well, the Kleins are such genuine, wonderful people. Their faith and their courage and their strength really comes out whenever you meet them. And so we're really fighting for them and for everyone like them to be able to live with integrity, to work with integrity, to not be forced to violate your religious beliefs. For the sake of their family, Aaron and Melissa escaped Oregon to start a new life in Montana while the case continues. We just needed to be in a place that valued freedom. I trust the Lord so much more now than I ever did back then. God's in control. God's got this. So Aaron and Melissa are going before the Supreme Court. We're hoping that this Monday will be the first, the first day that the Supreme Court starts back for this term, okay? In this case, I'll be waiting for them. Be praying for this. This is on behalf of every believer in the country who wants to run their business. This will affect millions and millions of people. So really be in prayer. But it's not just Christian employers that are undergoing this. It's Christian employees, 
with all these woke corporations that think they can force their beliefs on people who are believers. They can. It violates federal law. Probably the best example of this right now that we have is the Alaska Airlines case. This is a case where Alaska decided uh, that they were just going to come up uh, with some legislation they thought was really great that they'd get everybody's support. It's called the Equality Act. It's a really extreme piece of legislation that would go into federal law and strip out religious freedom protection for every American in every federal law whenever there's any LGBT issue. It's such ra so radical, it'll never pass. It has no chance of passing uh, the Congress. But they really thought it was great, so they sent out to all their employees that we really want you to get behind this. And then they said, and we would love your feedback. Well, you know, some of their flight attendants, like Marley and Lacey, said, you know, we've got real problems with this. I mean, this could, like, take away the religious freedoms of our church. And so what did they do? Well, they fired them. So we want your response, unless it's a Christian response, and then you're fired. Well, you can't do that in the United States of America, right? So our goal is not just to win for Marley and Lacey, which we plan to win for Marley and Lacey, but to leave a mark on Alaska Airlines that sends a message to every woke corporation that you don't do this to people in this country. And we've even had to create a whole division just to protect people in the military. We've had numerous cases. Probably the biggest case right now in the country is the Navy SEALs case. And this is, you know, no matter what people's beliefs are on the vaccines, uh, there are laws, federal laws, protecting those who serve in the military. If the military tries to ask you to do something that violates your faith, you can ask for a religious accommodation. And they have to go through all kinds of steps to make sure that they provide that unless it's absolutely impossible. And so these are individuals, 35 Navy SEALs, who've given over 350 years of combat service for our country, who are suffering, have all kinds of things they go through. But these are individuals that had religious objections and beliefs against taking the vaccine. And so they did what they're supposed to do. They put in for their accommodation, said, we'll wear a mask, we'll do whatever you want. I mean, you could put a vial of anything in these guys. It would be dead in an hour, right? <laughs> I mean, these are incredible people. And almost all of them were already immune anyway. But they said, we'll do whatever. So what did, the, what did the government do? Instead of going through the process, they started punishing them for asking what is their right under federal law. One of them was on his way to his PTSD appointment. They called the doctor and said, don't meet with him. Okay? They're taking away pensions. <clears throat> they were taking away medical coverage for the disabled children. It's outrageous what's going on. And this is not just them. This is, if they're successful, they will throw out over 50 thousand military families at a time when we desperately need those. And these are the top people, Top Gun, uh, Navy SEALs, you name it. It's crazy. I was talking with General uh, Jerry Boykin recently, head of the Delta Force. This guy's American hero, head of the Delta Force, head of Green Beret. He said, Kelly, this is really bad. He said, so many of these families are third, fourth, fifth generations that go into the military. And he said, you know what they're telling their kids now? He said, they're telling them, don't do it. We can't tell you what they're going to force you to do. They don't even think they have to follow the law right now. They're violating the law. And so this is really damaging. I don't know if you saw the last report, the, the Army report. You have a certain recruitment level to stay even. The Army just announced they hit 40% of the recruitment level they needed. Jerry Boykin, tough guy, looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, your case might save our military. This is a very important case. The good news is... When we got into court, we proved that they were violating the law. We proved that what they were doing was outrageous. One of the first statements in the judge, federal judge's opinion was, 
There is no COVID exception to the United States Constitution. We got an injunction because of what we showed. The judge even moved this into a class action. We now have an injunction protecting every single person who serves us in the Navy. There's another injunction that was issued protect every single person now who's serving us in the Air Force. And there's another injunction issued protecting every single person serving us in the Marines. So these, these battles are heavy right now. We're winning. But this is one of the most important cases in the country to me. And it's something we have to keep fighting. The, the attacks are not only on churches and military and everything else, they're also on just the ability to share the gospel. And uh, a great example of this is our client, Gail Blair. Gail was a woman who slowly went blind. And as she was going blind, she was like, well, Lord, how can I talk to people about the Lord? I used to be a nurse. Now I'm just in a little apartment across the street from the park, and I can't see. And she said, that's it. Every day, I'll go out. I'll find a way with my cane across the street. I'll get into the park. And I'll sit at a bench, and I'll hope somebody comes nearby. And I'll strike up a conversation, and I'll offer them a copy of the Gospel of John. And that's what she did until she was banned from the park and the library for two years for talking about her faith. So this is Gail's story. Nursing was it for me. It was my identity. I did everything. If I could help them get a job or an apartment, but my husband says that I am a um, frustrated social worker. <laughs> January 7th, 1984, I actually had been going to a Bible study on the book of John, and uh, it opened my heart to the Word of God being the answer, the truth. It was the best day of my life. I actually was born with a genetic disorder, retinitis pigmentosa, and I still continued nursing until I couldn't anymore because of my vision loss. If somebody says, if ever said to me, hey, you could have your eyesight, but you have to, you know, get rid of Jesus. I'd say, no, no deal. Wherever I go, I try to hand this out to people. So it's 21 chapters of the gospel. I get around with my cane to cross the street to go in the park. Going into a park to uh, talk with people is a pleasure, first of all. But knowing that eternal life is real and people don't know that they're in danger, people have been saved in the park. I've had more of a reaction from the staff on, in the park that was not too nice, uh, like they would interrupt me. There's plenty of people to talk to. I don't have to be um, going after anybody. I couldn't. It would be a tripping hazard for me. I was sitting on a bench with a man that I was conversing with. The executive director comes over and he says that he was going to call the police. And uh, that's the start of um, the two-year ban, even from the library, which that was a little bit of a surprise to me, that they would ban me from both the park and the library. I'm passing out one of the 66 books of the Bible that you have in your library that people can check out. Uh, I guess my heart is broken uh, that I can't do what the Lord has told me to do.
So if you want to say that, I, I think about daily the lost souls. I think the Lord has positioned me right across from the park. It, it's a divine uh, assignment that I absolutely need to fulfill. It's, it's just a must. So some of you are thinking, boy, I'm so glad Awakened Church invited the depressing speaker on Sunday to come and tell us about all these bad cases. So let me tell you the good news. The good news is we have a method of dealing with this. It's not a theory. We've been doing it a long time and successful. And it really is God's method. It's the body of Christ. So if you were to look at legal nonprofits, I don't care if they're left wing or right wing or what their issue is, they have the same model. Raise as much money as you can. Use that money to hire as many attorneys as you can. Put them in an office in D.C. or L.A. or New York, and then fly them around the country, cover as many cases on your issues as you can cover. That's not our model. Our model is there's all these believers who went to law school because they wanted to stand for what was right. And 30 years later, these are now the best litigators at the best law firms in the country, and they've done honorable work for major corporations and all that, but they've never gotten to do a case for the kingdom. And we sit down with them and we say, look, if we give you everything you need on our staff or the top lawyers from Harvard Law School, from you know, Chicago, all the best law schools in the country, we have a whole media division that will come around you. If we give everything you need, are you willing to give your time and have your firm step up and fight for religious freedom in this case? And they're like, man, I've been waiting 35 years. Sign me up. Well, we know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen when they do that case. For the first time in their life, all their talent, all their training, everything they've learned is lined up with the kingdom. They have never felt that before. It's kind of unfair, but we now know we have them for the rest of their lives as one of our volunteer attorneys because they got to do another one of these. And they give cover to the younger attorneys. They get to taste of what it's like, and they're never going back. So if you were to go through the top 100 law firms in the United States, you'd find that most of those firms don't just donate time with us. They'll literally fight each other over who gets to donate time on the case. And one of my goals in that was I thought we can really replicate, you know, we can really multiply God's resources. Sure enough, a average case, every 10,000 we spend, 60,000 gets donated by the attorneys. It literally is a six to one multiplication of God's resources. But what I didn't count on was the win-loss ratio. And that is in the nonprofit legal world, you're formed to fight something big, industry, government, something, some problem, something big. So if, if you win 40% of your cases, you're, you're really good. Our win right now, 90, I mean, our win right now, 23 years in a row, is over 90% every single year. And it's, it's God's favor, but it's his method, right? I mean, we can put together the most powerful legal teams in the country in any community within 30 minutes of a lot of people who have been waiting their whole lives to give their incredible skill for the body of Christ, right? That person gets representation they could never afford. And the result is a precedent that protects everybody in the body. That is how it's supposed to work, right? And so that's what's happening as we're, as we're doing these cases around the country. We're getting victories, we're winning, and normally I would say, hey, that's the end of what I've got to say. Yeah, the attacks are increasing, but we're winning. But then about five years ago, I saw God moving, and I'm like, 
And as as I was speaking around the country, I started to say, I I think we might can change the future of the country. And I stopped saying that because we are changing the future of the country. It really started with judges about five years ago. We, you know, look, we're we're a a nonpartisan group. Whoever's in office, we're going to push for religious freedom. And we were preparing for a Hillary Clinton presidency. And then this Donald Trump guy won. And we're like, okay, we got to reevaluate. What can we do this best? And we immediately saw 132 judicial seats. These are federal lifetime appointments sitting open. Very unusual. And we felt God calling us to, to do the most extensive vetting division in the country of all the candidates, of all the choices. And we started doing that. And I'm telling you, I, I don't have time to go through all, but 234 incredible people were put on the court for life. Many of them believers who would be sitting in a church like this, brilliant, young. An example is, who's this guy with his hand up? Number one in his class from law school, goes to work at one of the biggest law firms in the country. After about seven years, thinks, yeah, I want to do something more significant. So he goes to work at the, as a federal prosecutor, putting away terrorists. And does, he wins an award for convicting terrorists. And then the new attorney general takes him off that to work on social justice issues. He's like, you know, that's not why I came here. So he left. Where did he go? He came to work at First Liberty as one of our attorneys. And at age 38, he was picked to be a federal judge for the rest of his life. Okay? Brilliant. He would rather die than to ever turn from the Constitution or his faith. And when my grandchildren's children come into court, this is going to be their judge. That's changing the future. And who's the guy squaring him in? Jim Ho, probably maybe the smartest attorney in the country, probably will end up on the Supreme Court, fearless, speaks the truth, does the right thing every single time. And he was at one of the most powerful law firms in the world. And yet he was our most active volunteer attorney donating his time for religious freedom before he became a judge. You start doing this and you start changing the results that come out from the cases where you put these kinds of people on the court. So we just won two cases at the Supreme Court within six days of each other. And listen, that is beyond unusual, okay? You get 8,000 requests a year to the Supreme Court. They take 65 cases, okay? The idea that they would take even one of your cases is highly unlikely. The idea that they would take two is ridiculous, doesn't happen. We didn't just get them taking two cases, they ruled in our favor in two cases within six days of each other. Only God can do that. And they're so much bigger than people know. The first one was the, the case out of Maine where they said, look, parents have a right in our state to pick private or public school with their money. They could even pick a private school out of state. But the one thing we're changing that we won't allow them to do is we won't allow them to pick any school where they teach from any sort of religious perspective. Well, the Supreme Court just ruled in our favor and said, you can't do that. That's discrimination. It violates the Constitution. Everywhere there's a school choice program in this country, Christian schools have to be included like every other school. And the parents get those choices. But it's so much bigger than that because the decision wasn't based upon schooling. The decision was based upon what it said is if there's any government program that provides benefits in a generalized fashion, you cannot discriminate on the basis of religion in any way. So think of what this means. If you have a drug rehab program that's a government program, 
Can Teen Challenge participate? Yes, they can. Can Christian programs participate? Yes, they can. What about in a lot of states now, after Roe v. Wade being overturned, they're going to try to provide ways to, to reduce the cost of adopting their children out? Well, can religious groups, can your church, can others participate in those programs? They can't be stopped now, okay, because of what just happened. And then we had six days later, we had the Coach Kennedy case decision come down from the Supreme Court. I think a lot of you know about Coach Kennedy. He was the guy who was fired after 20 years in the Marines, came out, became a coach, made a promise to God that after every game, when everybody's looking at their phones to make reservations for dinner, he's going to go to his knee. The first thing, he's going to thank God for the privilege of coaching those young men. And that's what he did for seven years until they said, if you go and eat again, we're going to fire you. And he went to a knee and they fired him. And this went all the way to the Supreme Court. And we won this summer. They said, this is a violation of the First Amendment, a free speech, a free exercise of religion. He has every right to do that. And that's what most people know. They know Coach Kennedy goes back, he gets to pray, and they think, great, I'm in favor of that. What they don't know is what happened within the decision. Within the decision, there's a case called Lemon. It's sort of the Roe v. Wade of religious liberty. It's a case backed by the same court that did Roe v. Wade in 1971 that said, oh, we know the Constitution says we don't want there to be a nationally established church, but we think it means much more than that. We think it means no separation. We think it means separation of church and state, and we think it means all these other things. That And it's the reason our whole lives we've seen nativity scenes under attack and menorahs under attack, Ten Commandments. Oh, we can't have religion around schools. It's not because any of this stuff was in the Constitution. It's because of the Lemon case. And so just a few years ago, we had this case at the Supreme Court, the Bladesburg Cross. This is a memorial that was put up to honor those who died in World War I until the American humanists came and said, you can't have a cross on government property. And they said, at the Court of Appeals, one of the judges said, why don't we just cut the arms off the cross? That way nobody will be offended and we won't have to tear it down. They ruled two to one, that's unconstitutional. So we went to the Supreme Court and we knew the justices on there. We had helped vet all these judges. And we said, we've got some good people in religious liberty. Let's go after Lemon. And that's what we did. And we won the case 7-2. But more importantly, 5-4, they said, were not following Lemon. They didn't reverse Lemon, but it was a crack in the armor. So I told my staff, I said, this is big, but we've got to drag this into our schools and all of our society, and that's going to take years. So we got Coach Kennedy, and we're going to the Supreme Court, and we're like, there's never been a case in our history on the rights of teachers or coaches with regard to their faith. This is big. We can't go for the get rid of lemon. That's, that, if we go too big, we might lose. So we didn't. Halfway through the oral argument, out of nowhere, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch start talking and saying, you know, I think it's time we get rid of this lemon case. And our eyes are like biggest silver dollars. And so the decision comes down. I'm sitting with Coach Kennedy. He's like, did I win? We're like, yeah, you won, but shh, we're trying to read. And we read along, and all of a sudden, they throw out Lemon, and the dissent is going crazy. They've just reversed Lemon. 7,000 citations to Lemon over the last 50 years. And so what this means is where the crosses went down. Think of it, 7,000 citations just overruled in the last 50 years. Where the crosses were taken down, the crosses go back up. Where prayer was taken out, prayer goes back in. 
everything just changed. Most people have no idea. This is why we're starting a project called Restoring Faith in America. We're going to put this out there to let people understand what just got overruled and tell them these are the things you can go in your community and bring faith back to America. You can do it in every uh, city council, in every school board meeting, in every part of our society. All these things just changed. And it's just up to us to get it back. And so I've got some pictures. This is what's happening after the football games already. We've got kids. We got lots of pictures of kids coming together from both teams and coaches that are beginning to pray. Okay? How many of us have a kid or a grandkid that has a game? They can ask somebody, let's go to the center of the field and let's go pray. And let's see what happens as this gets viral, as this increases around the country. So what can you do? How can you be in the battle, right? What can you do about this? Number one, okay, you can be like Gail Blair and just be faithful, right? What happened to Gail? She won her case. She goes back to the park. Every two months, we get an email from Gail that somebody else has just come to the Lord, okay? And the guy who turned her in, she invited to her church, and he's now considering going to her church. We just need to be faithful. So number one, you can pray, right? If Coach Kennedy's in court or Gail Blair's in court, they need prayer cover. Number two, you can educate others. So when you hear about these victories and see them, you can tell others. It'll make them more bold to be out there with their faith and to make a difference. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you know what's happening. So we've got a, a QR code. I know if you're old, you think, no, you don't look at this and see if you see a picture of Jesus, right? This is the QR code. You, you put up your camera. So everybody can put up your camera on your phone and do that. And that way you can get on the list. And every Friday you'll get an email on what's going on. You can pray, you can educate others, you can be involved and as we increase the army of people of faith around the country on this. And the third thing you can do is stand, right? You can live not by lies. Where is God calling you to stand, right? There's so many lies going on. How many of us know that there's a difference between a male and a female? But how many people are willing to say that there's a difference? We've got to stand with each other. And if you ever have a question or you need help, you call with us and we'll, we'll tell you what your rights are, the freedoms you have, and we'll stand with you. But we've just got to be faithful. It's, it's the time to be strong and courageous. And if we do, things are turning. God is moving. He's, he's opening up religious freedom that I've never, every American alive right now has more religious freedom than they've ever had in their entire lifetime. And we're just at the beginning just at the beginning. Thank you for allowing me to be here. It's really a privilege. God bless you. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.